0: Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad.
1: Beasts out of the sea, prophets that do miracles, war in the heavens, this is it. Now, behind the evil and the persecution in the first half of Revelation, this next section, this cosmic warfare section, helps us to see that there are not just visible enemies, people opposed to God, but invisible enemies as well. This is This is a... In other words, putting your glasses on and realizing we are in an unseen war.
0: God, oh my soul. type that really enjoys apocalyptic stories, then today's message is going to be right up your alley. We've come to the part of Revelation where things get really intense. We've got dragons and imagery of spiritual warfare in cosmic proportions. It sounds made up, but this vision was given to John as prophecy of real events to come. As Pastor Ricky will explain in today's message, this chapter isn't meant to frighten. As believers, we'll find that it contains hope for us as evil incarnate comes to its end. Now, let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, as he begins his message Here There Be Dragons.
1: Verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. And a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. This is God's word. Well, I want you to imagine something with me for a second. I want you to imagine that you live in a small medieval town. You're a simple farmer, but it's perhaps your day off. You wake up, stretch, enjoy the sunrise, except for one neighbor in the distance making a loud racket, which makes you grumpy. You walk to the market to buy breakfast, only to discover most of the vendors are gone. You manage to find one guy giving out loaves of bread, And you notice that the paths in the town have seen better days. They are full of holes and cracks. And you think to yourself, this used to be such a nice town. You walk past one building that is covered in soot or blackened or something and never repaired. To cheer yourself up, you walk into the tavern to enjoy some friendly conversation, only to find a haggard innkeeper and a handful of men with bandaged arms and bodies And then a loud sound, that neighbor starts up again, so loud you can hardly think. And grumpily, you say to the innkeeper, what happened to this town? This used to be such a nice town. This is all so inconvenient. But the innkeeper looks back at you with shock on his face and says, friend, where have you been? We are under attack by a dragon. Can't you hear him roaring? If you are of able body, why aren't you at the walls? We are at war. That is Revelation 12. Revelation 12 is meant to wake the church up to the reality that a dragon is roaring. We've seen in Revelation that wars are raging on the earth, there's famine, there's persecution, there's loss, and often we look at all this going on and we say, well, this is all rather inconvenient. I really wish I could sit quietly and have a coffee and plan my next vacation. But Revelation comes to us and says, can't you hear him roaring? We are at war. Now this passage begins a new section of Revelation that some commentators call the cosmic warfare section, which if you were like, man, when are we going to get to the really crazy parts of Revelation? We've arrived. Uh, Dragons, beasts out of the sea, prophets that do miracles, war in the heavens. This is it. Now behind the evil and the persecution in the first half of Revelation this next section, this cosmic warfare section helps us to see that there are not just visible enemies, people opposed to God, but invisible enemies as well. This is, this is a, in other words, putting your glasses on and realizing we are in an unseen war. And this letter is meant to encourage the church specifically to encourage the seven churches we find in Revelation 2 and 3 that you're studying in your community groups. But this is really drawing back the curtain to help us see we are in a cosmic conflict. But this picture is not meant to lead the church to despair or to give up or to cower and hide in the basement. No, it is meant to call the church to rejoice and conquer. So here's how I would sum up Revelation 12. This is what God wants for us today to know. Though the dragon roars, God's people rejoice and conquer. Though the dragon roars, God's people rejoice and conquer. We're going to look at three sections today. The first section is see the dragon. Have you ever seen one of those old maps uh, that were, were... drawn before we had an understanding of how the world worked you know, and that it was round and there would be a, a section of the map that there was an island and an island and then it would just get blurry because nobody had ever been down there. And there's instances of sailors drawing in a sea serpent and writing, here there be dragons, right? This is the unknown. And, and in fact, even if you're not a Christian, you probably have the same experience every human does, which is you, you grow up a little bit afraid of the dark. I, I was one of those kids that once night fell, I was like, this is it, we're done for. This is when the monsters come out, they're going to eat us. And my parents had to talk me down every single night, right? And I remember thinking, man, I wish, I wish someday when I grow up, I wish I was grown up already so I wouldn't be afraid anymore of anything. And then you grow up and you're like, well, that didn't work. So the... <laughs> And and here's the other thing. Our culture, despite how safe we are in America, is still obsessed with movie after movie after movie of, no, no, this is the killer in the dark hiding. And then it's the same, it's just the same movie with different masks, right? And you're like, I wonder what's gonna happen in this movie. There's gonna be a guy in the dark killing people or a monster or something. And you're like, what about this next one? Same thing, right? Why do we keep replaying that over and over again? Because I think instinctively, we know there is something out there. And Revelation, unfortunately confirms our worst fears that there is a monster out there in the dark. This imagery of the dragon is not random. In fact, it intentionally calls back to a thread through the entirety of Scripture. In Genesis 3, uh, there there is a particular figure that tempts Adam and Eve to sin against God and rebel against Him. If you recall... The creature is translated in English as a serpent, a snake-like thing. And if you, if you know anything about dragons, there's various kinds of dragons. Often they're serpent-like, snake-like, scaly things that often are in water. Sometimes they could fly, you know, depending on your, what, what part of the world you're talking about. And that, that is an intentional callback. We're meant to see, oh, this is the serpent kind of unveiled from Genesis 3. And that serpent, in fact, goes, is threaded through the Old Testament. And often, sometimes God's enemies are pictured in imagery as a serpent, as an evil, as a Leviathan, as, as chaos, as evil roiling around in the water. And look at this dragon. Look at how he's described. He has seven heads. If you're a kaiju fan, you're like, it's Ghidorah. Well, after his, you know, and if you're a Kaiju fan, this is a great message for you. Welcome to church. He has seven heads symbolizing cunning wisdom. He has 10 horns symbolizing great power. And he has seven crowns symbolizing his authority over people on the earth or ability to influence others on the earth. And his power is symbolized in him sweeping down these stars. Now, Some believe that that even is a reference to uh, before time began when Satan and and his angels rebelled against God and and he in a sense swept them down, uh, turned them against God. He is, regardless of whether or not that is here, we should note he is powerful, he is terrifying, he is real. And what is he doing? He is there attacking God. The woman. Now, it seems clear that the woman symbolizes the people of God, and you see that with the 12 stars over her head, representing the 12 tribes of uh, the Old Testament, and, and this dragon hates the woman. And even more he hates the offspring that she will produce. This goes back to Genesis 3, where God cursed the serpent, but but gave a to, and, and and cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, but gave a promise, the proto-evangelion, the, the first gospel, the first announcement of good news in Genesis 3, uh, that that one day the seed of the woman, a descendant of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. Though the serpent bruised his heel, right? There's this promise that one day that evil in the garden will be crushed. And so the dragon waits. He waits to devour this seed of the woman because he knows the gospel, the proto He knows the promise and all throughout the Old Testament, there's this conflict between the seed of the woman and, and the seed of evil, seed of the serpent in a sense. Again and again, these, these, these people going back and forth, back and forth in the Old Testament through all the, the figures there. And, and yet, for all of his cunning, for all of his power, I don't know if you noticed this, but Satan did not snuff out the church in the Old Testament. He did not succeed in stopping the seed of the woman. So what do we make of this? Why tell this to the early church? Why is this encouraging? It's like somebody showing up at your house and say, hey man, I don't know if you know this, but you have a dragon problem. <laughs> you know, you don't have a mice problem. You don't have a bug problem. You have a dragon problem. And you're thinking, we're gonna go ahead and move. You know? there are sometimes problems too big. What, what is the church supposed to do with this? First, we must clearly see the reality of the dragon. In Tolkien's The Hobbit, we find this great line that applies to Revelation 12. One character says, It does not do to leave a dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. What are we supposed to do here? Well, there there are two opposite errors Christians can fall into when it comes to the devil, to Satan, to spiritual forces. Um, what one is an overfocus on those things to the exclusion of the other clear things in Scripture. Meaning that, that you go down this rabbit trail of these kind of half-references and allusions, and you build a whole theology, and you live kind of in that theology more than the just clear teaching of the Bible. And, and I remember one time I, we, we took a phone call from somebody who had, had listen, happened to listen to the radio program our church does during the, the week. And he was like, somehow we had referenced spiritual attack. Maybe it was Ephesians or something. And and so he calls the office like desperate, like I've got to talk to Pastor Ricky. It's it's you know I don't know what he said, but basically it's life or death, spiritual warfare. And so, you know, I happened to be free and in the office. So I was like, well, I mean, I'll talk to him if it's life and death. And so he began to describe, you know, all these strange events that he felt like he was experiencing and his girlfriend, and he was, he was worried there were, there were demons attacking his girlfriend or his girlfriend was possessed and he worried about himself and he's going on and on and on. And so I began to just draw him out like, wait, wait, how, where are you getting this? And so I found out like, He's on these strange, obscure message boards that are like, oh, I know the real meaning of Daniel. You know, and Daniel, and it's this, and you got to know this. And, and we and mapped out all the territorial spirits for each area of North America. And, and, and he just is like, he's going there. And so I began to, to just draw him out and realize, you know, well, are you reading the other parts of the Bible? Well, no, I've got this big spiritual problem. Okay, well, are you, you know, you're going to church? No. So in other words, this had just taken over his life. That can happen. Now, I will say, because I grew up in the charismatic era, that, that may have been perhaps the lean at times in some more charismatic churches. But today, I believe we fall into the opposite error. We don't even acknowledge the reality of the dragon around us. And part of that is we we're, we're living in a very materialistic culture. By that I mean uh, we only believe in what we can see and touch and feel right in front of us. And we're very slow to believe in any sort of weird spiritual stuff out there. And so Christians are like, yeah, 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 almost like an overcorrection. We used to be too much over there, so now it's just nothing. Nothing's going on in the spiritual realm. Everything is just, you know, uh, it's just what I could see in front of me. And Revelation does not allow us to do that. Revelation says, wake up, there's a dragon. Don't leave him out of your calculations if you live near him. And we all live near him. Now, second, we must also see the limits of this dragon. We're we're meant to see right away, as soon as he enters the picture, he is powerful, but he is limited. And we see his limits in the fact that, that, okay, for all of his cunning, he couldn't outsmart the plan of God. For all of his power, he couldn't overpower the church and destroy the seed of the woman. For all his authority over the nations, he couldn't stand against the ruler with a rod of iron. So we're meant to see, okay, powerful, but limited. Second point we're meant to see the dragon, and second, we're meant to conquer with Christ's conquering, right? We see verse five, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. What is that? Now, here's where I think just Christians, sometimes you're like, well, that must be some weird, obscure thing, right? It must be some future figure, or something going on, and, but you're probably in the back of your mind thinking, this sounds kind of like the birth of Christ, right? There's a woman, there's a ruler trying to kill her son. Remember Herod and the slaughter of the innocents and he escapes. You got it, okay? So don't think like, oh, this must be some weird thing. No, that, what you're thinking you're on the right track. It is the birth of Jesus. And it skips very quickly, caught up to God in his throne, the ascension of Jesus. So in a blink, we go from him being born to him ascending. Now, why does it do that? Well, partially because Revelation, the rest of Revelation, especially five, is very clear about the kind of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The lamb standing as though he had been slain. In other words, that that is almost assumed in the picture. So in that kind of snap is the whole the uh, breadth of Jesus' ministry. Now, this is the reality. Throughout Jesus' life, from his very birth until his death, Satan roared and snapped and tried to destroy. He sends Herod and the slaughterer of the innocents. So there's all these demonic people. Uh, you ever wonder why Jesus keeps running into demons everywhere? This guy might have something to do with it. And then on the cross, it seems as though Satan triumphs. The the serpent does bruise, and and this is literal, does bruise the heel of Jesus because what you die from on the cross is not blood loss, but suffocation. As people hung there and pushed themselves up repeatedly with their heel until they could not anymore suffocate and died. So Satan rejoices. He thinks, ha, there he is in the tomb. We're done, game over Until Sunday, when on Sunday, Jesus Christ ascends with a rod of iron from the tomb, and the power of the serpent is proven worthless in the face of Jesus Christ. That, ultimately, that is what we're meant to see in verse 5. Now, it is clear from Revelation that the ultimate final defeat of the dragon will be at the end of history, which we will read uh, very soon in Revelation. And we don't know all of God's purposes for allowing some measure of the dragon's fero- f- you know, ferocious hatred and, 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 and uh, influence in the world. But we do know this that God delays the final day of the Lord in his mercy that more may be saved, that the gospel would go to every tribe, tongue, people, and language, and all of God's people would be gathered. He delays in his mercy, and while he delays, the dragon roars. Now, verse seven. Now, when war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back Down who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, there's a key decision. This is exciting, right? I mean this is this is pretty cool. I mean, especially for me, when I found this part of my Bible at age twelve, I was like, there it is. There's this stuff. Spiritual warfare. Now, the the key decision, though, is is what is this talking about? Is this before even kind of world history? Is this way back before Genesis 1 where, you know, uh, this is the fall of Satan that we're seeing in a flashback? Or is this a a flash forward to the end of time where he'll be thrown down? Or is this the present? What what is going on here? Well, if you're trying to interpret something confusing, look for something clear, right? Right? Like, if you're like, that, that's really confusing, then look around it for like, okay, well, is there any place, is there a handhold that I can hold on to here that will help me get there? And there is. I think it's verse 10. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. So when is that? Well, it seems like when Christ completed his death, and res- resurrection and return to the right hand of the Father, right? I mean, it, it, that is what it seemed on its face to, 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 to say to us. Now, the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, especially in context with the preceding verses, And that seems to line up uh, with other sections of scripture like John 12, 31 or Luke 10, 18 that suggests during the ministry of Jesus, he he makes this reference to Satan falling like lightning, meaning Jesus has shown up. The seed of the woman has shown up and Satan's power is about to be curtailed. Now, it could be, uh, now why would it say then that Michael and his army though remove the devil and his demons from heaven. Wouldn't it be Jesus? Well, it could be that what is in view here is that until the work of Christ, Satan was allowed to have some level of access or standing in heaven in order to make his accusations against the people of God. So we see this in in Job, for example. But now after the cross, now after the death and resurrection of God, Satan, Loses the standing by which to make any accusation.
0: Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in you're hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Pastor Ricky will continue teaching through this series in the Book of Revelation next time on Better News Radio. What an amazing gift this book of the Bible is. It's a very revealing book about the future, and yet there's still things that you won't be able to understand with a finite human mind. But wouldn't it be remarkable to have a full understanding of all of it at a later time? This book is Jesus' way of assuring his people that he'll make all things right. Justice will be done, and the world will be restored, because of a Savior who comes and fights the bad guys. What a heroic story that weaves its way throughout all of history. Revelation brings things with this current world to a close, and God ushers in a new reality. What hope this can bring you as a Christian and follower of Jesus? Don't live in fear of what's to come of this world. God's in control, and he has a good plan. If you're enjoying studying God's word, but would like some additional resources, we'd like to help you. Go to betternewsradio.com and find some helpful tools to assist you along the way. You can also give us a call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Don't forget to place a marker in your Bible and join us again as Pastor Ricky continues teaching through God's Word in the book of Revelation. Our time with you for today is about up, but we trust that you're learning and growing, appreciating what God is teaching you. Come again to hear Better News Radio.